If you've been enjoying these episodes of Getting There with Gaz, they come to you because of the great work, the partnerships we've built with local businesses that we hope you can continue to support. One of those, Johnstone Supply in Troy. Sixth Avenue in Troy, helping people across the capital region in upstate New York with their HVAC needs. November, we see it. Sun is slowly disappearing. It's getting darker and darker. The weather is getting colder and colder. Are you prepared in your home for those winter months? Maybe it's something as simple as just finding out the efficiency in your home. Is your furnace due for an update? Air filters in your home, are they up to where they need to be? Do you just want your house to feel better, to feel warmer, and you're having all these issues? Don't have it happen to you. Johnstone Supply and Troy wants to make sure that your house is ready to go for the winter months. Whether you're listening in Syracuse, Utica, Albany, wherever it may be, it is worth at least a call. 518-272-5922. 518-272-5922. You've already got the hookup. You already know the people in there. Tom, we talk about them all the time on LeVac and guys in the podcast and more. Kevin, James, George, whoever may answer for you will answer the questions you need. Something as simple about your home that's going on. Those guys are the best. It's Johnstone Supply in Troy. Check them out on Facebook. Again, 6th Avenue in Troy, 518-272-5922. Now, on this week's episode, and getting there with guys. Another episode here of Getting There with Goss, where we talk about the career journeys of business owners, media members, coaches, athletes, and more Capital Region fans, maybe Central New York fans, even from back in the day, will remember this guy, Kelly O'Donnell, now doing some great things with Siena College, which we're going to get to it a little bit later on in this podcast, but we got to start at the beginning like we always do. Kelly, let's go back. A younger version of you, six, seven, eight years old. Where'd you grow up? What'd you want to be as a kid? And was it the same dream job you wanted when you were 18 years old? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, excited to be here. And uh, so if we're going to go back to when I was seven, eight, nine years old, then I'm taking you back to uh, 1980s, uh, late 80s, southern Indiana. Uh, I grew up in, in, in Evansville, Indiana. And uh, so what I wanted to be, well, Don Mattingly, because Don Mattingly was the hometown hero of Evansville, Indiana. And people always ask me, you know, why are you a Yankees fan? You're from the Midwest. And so I tell them the story of, uh, of my birthday right around the exact period you're talking about. I was maybe nine years old. So Mattingly still playing. My birthday is in early February. So it's before uh, he would report to spring training. And, you know, these were Yankees teams. You know, they're not very good. But Don Mattingly was was the star of that team. And unfortunately, it doesn't look like his, his uh, numbers ever get called to the Hall of Fame. But, man, he was a Hall of Famer for, for all of us growing up in Hoosierland back in the day. And he had started a restaurant, a sports bar in in Evansville, where he's from, where I grew up, called Mattingly's 23. Mattingly's 23 was the place to go if if you're a kid, you're into baseball. Of course, I'm playing Little League and everything else. First baseman on my Little League team. And uh, so my parents said on my birthday that year, where do you want to go for your birthday? So we got to go to Mattingly's 23. So go to go to the restaurant and, and on the way there, I remember it was my mom or dad said, you never know, maybe he'll be here tonight. And so we sit down and all of a sudden, you know, my mom says, turn around. There he is. He's walking into the dining room. And this place wow. is moved and there's memorabilia, of course, all over the wall of his career. And, and, and so they, why don't you go get his autograph? 
So I had I had a, a stack of you know a handful of, of birthday cards I was going to open at, at my little birthday party, you know, my parents and my brother. Um, and, and so I grabbed the top one off of the stack and I rush over and, and Mr. Manley, will you sign it? And so he takes the card and I hadn't even opened it yet, but it was a birthday card for my grandparents. And it said like, happy birthday slugger on the front of the card. It was perfect, right? Because there's a mid and yeah. there's a pull and everything else. So he opens it up and a $5 bill falls out and he picks it up and he sticks it in his pocket and he signs the card, hands it to him, he turns around, he walks away. So... <laughs> I go back to the table and I've got this crestfallen look on my face. My parents are like, what, you know, what happened? And I said, well, he, he stole my birthday money. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, a minute later, he comes back to the table. He gives me the $5. He talks to my parents. He, he was just, he was awesome. And so in that moment, of course, I wanted to be a major league baseball player and I wanted to play for the Yankees. Um, but, you know, soon after that, the, the dream is shattered. You realize you're not going to be a major league baseball player. In fact, <laughs> I wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> so it, it, that dream was shattered a lot earlier for me than for a lot of sports casters who, who find their way to the, to the calling late. So I think it was by the time I was 12, I realized I better pivot, but I still want to be involved in sports. And that's where the dream started to get into sports broadcasting. It's amazing and as sad as the end of that is. Like now it felt like you should have been playing for the Yankees and everything else. As great as that story is, but unfortunately, as you said, 12 years old is when it ends. But uh, when you're 18, you do have to select a college. And like you just mentioned, you still want to have sports and some type of background as your professional career. Take us through that situation when you get ready to graduate high school and your colleges you're looking at and why eventually you choose the college that you do. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, there's kind of another um, – um, defining moment i think of my childhood that i remember back to i was, I was 12 years old in the, uh, the summer games that year were in barcelona and, and i remember watching nbc's coverage and, and seeing bob costas anchor nbc's coverage of the olympics like he did for for so many olympiads and and i was fascinated by his job what he did um the way in which he would do his job in, in the profession, you know, at large. And so I think that was kind of planted the seed of maybe I'd want to get into sports broadcasting. So Bob Costas went to Syracuse and then there was another family friend of ours um, who was a handful of years older than me. His name's Anthony Calhoun and he's a sports director at Wish TV in uh, Indianapolis. Uh, and, and he went to Syracuse. And so while I was in high school, he would come back home on breaks and again, a family friend. So I, I would see him periodically when he was back from college uh, and he was talking up the virtues of, of Syracuse. And so this was somebody who I, I very much looked up to and was a, was a mentor in my life. Um, so he went to Syracuse and of course, you know, he'd talk up Bob Costas and I knew that Bob had went there and, and um, he was pivotal and, and kind of that um, lightning bolt moment that this is something I want to do. So that's really what pointed me towards Syracuse. And, you know, it's funny is, uh, I was a terrible baseball player, right? So we've covered that. I was actually pretty good at soccer. Um, and uh, I had an offer to play in college uh, at, at Marion College in Indianapolis, which is where my dad went to school. Um, and it was a tiny little, you know, NAIA school. And, um, but, but they were willing to put together a nice little academic athletic package where I wasn't going to have to pay a whole lot of money to go there, if anything. Um, but they didn't have a communication school. And so my parents, they sat me down and like, I, you know, we've got two options here. You know, one is you get to go play soccer in college. Your dad went to school. You get to stay close to home. We don't have to pay any money. Like it sounds like a great opportunity, right? Or you could go all the way out to New York, pay a lot of money and, and not play soccer. So I think they're pretty sure I'm going to go, you know, through door number one. And I'm like, nah, see ya, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Syracuse. 
And that time when you go to Syracuse too, like that late 90s, early 2000s is a great time, not just for your broadcasting uh, fellow colleagues, and we can touch on them if you want as well, but sports at Syracuse yeah. at that point. And you and I had to have this, uh, we had this conversation before, and I think it's fun to share in the podcast in this forum too. Take us to a freshman Kelly who's rubbing yeah. shoulders or <laughs> I'll let you set it up with Donovan McNabb. Go ahead and talk about McNabb right. there playing quarterback for the Orange Men at the time, the Orange Men at the time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so we had a good football team. I know for some people it's hard to imagine Syracuse <laughs> with a good football team. We're a good football team. Uh, so this was this was fall of, of 98 and, you know, nationally ranked. And uh, if, if we hadn't lost our season opener uh, at home to Tennessee, this was the year after uh, Peyton Manning graduated. Tennessee bogus pass interference, Kelly. A bogus pass interference. Don't bogus get me started about it. Interference call. It's exactly oh. like uh, that costs us that game and and, and dashes our, our chances at a, at a national championship, right? Uh, T. Martin's the quarterback who replaced Peyton Manning on that Tennessee team. Anyways, I digress. So great football team, uh, and I was a uh, a lifeguard throughout high school. It was my you know summer gig, making five dollars an hour, working at, uh, at a couple different uh, public pools in, in Southern Indiana. And so got on campus, and and at my parents' suggestion, they said, "Why don't you see if if the uh, campus pool needs a lifeguard? You know, you can make some money doing that." So I did. So I picked up a couple of shifts here and there, just just to make a little bit of money. And uh, I had a regular shift, but the boss calls me one day and says, hey, I know you're not scheduled to work on, you know, Saturday night from eight to midnight, like an odd time that you would need a lifeguard at the pool um, during unscheduled hours. Um, But we need somebody to cover this event. Can you do it? I didn't have I can tell you guys didn't have much of a social life my freshman (laughs) year, fall semester. So I didn't have any plans that Saturday night. (laughs) So uh, so I said, sure, I'll do it. Uh, Is it? Turned out it was essentially a, a, a party for um, the, the Black Student Union at, at Syracuse, whatever that, that affinity uh, group is, is called at Syracuse. But it ended up being a lot of members of, of the, uh, the football team, uh, including Donovan McNabb, who him and, and a lot of his teammates were there. So it was that group of people, a lot of football players, a lot of upperclassmen. Uh, and it was this skinny little white kid freshman from, from Indiana. <laughs> And so I was, and I was the only authority there. And by authority, I meant that as a lifeguard, it's my responsibility to make sure somebody doesn't get hurt, right? right. And if there were three other lifeguards there, maybe I could disappear into the background, but it was just me and my whistle. And so nobody else there, no other supervision of any kind. Um, and players, people at the party, again, a lot of them football players, are doing backflips off the side, right into the shallow end, just things that it's like somebody could like break their neck, like legitimately somebody could get hurt. And like, it, then that's on my conscience and I'm going to get kicked out of school. Like you can't imagine the thoughts that are going through my head as I'm watching this unfold. This really good football team that we have. So I'm like, what do I do? Do I, do I blow my whistle and, you know, admonish them like, Hey, don't, don't do that again. I, I saw you, you know, no splashing. Um, why would they listen to me? Right. So Donovan McNabb, right, just before he's going to go to the NFL and take the Eagles to the NFC Championship after NFC Championship, is, is chilling in the shallow end. He's kind of got his, his, you know, his arms back on the side of the pool like this, just hanging out. So I'm like, they're not going to listen to me, but they're going to listen to their, their captain. So I walk over to him. I don't know where I came up with the courage to do this, but I walk over to him and say the most ridiculous thing. I say, Hey, Don, I think I put my hand on his shoulder. Like, 
Who would do that? Hey, Don, can you do me a favor and tell your boys to stop doing flips off the side of the pool? Not knowing how he's going to react, he looks at me. He's like, yeah, sure, no problem. And they had like pool toys. Like there was a, a little Nerf football that was like floating by him at the time. So he picks it up and just wings it. Some dude like, you know, 40 yards away the other end of the pool. It's about to jump in, like pegs him between his shoulder blades. Hey, knock it off. No jumping in the pool. No doing flips in the pool or whatever he said. So I walked back to my little lifeguard stand and I'm like, that's right. I, I solved the problem. Me and Don together, we solved the problem. <laughs> you felt 10 feet tall walking away. The muscles got a little bit bigger. You thought maybe you could walk on if they need a receiver all of a sudden. That's exactly, that's exactly right. <laughs> so as much fun as you're having or, you know, avoiding trouble as you are that freshman year, this is truly a stacked lineup across WAER and everything else. So, Take us through sort of the responsibilities, the broadcast opportunities you get, and some of the colleagues that are at Syracuse at the time that you're competing against to get on the air. Yeah. Uh, well, I was fortunate. I mentioned that the only person that I knew before I went to Syracuse that had been there recently was this mentor of mine, uh, AC, Anthony Calhoun. He had developed a relationship with Carter Blackburn of CBS Sports, who was a year older than me. So uh, Anthony had said to Carter, a uh, friend of mine is kind of like a little brother. Anthony used to call my mom, mom, right? So again, a really close family friend. He said to Carter, this kid Kelly is going to come to school. He's, he's kind of like a little brother to me, so I want you to look out for him. So Carter's just a sophomore. I'm a freshman. The sports director at the time was Robert Lee, the general, who, of course, uh, anybody watching, listening in, in, in the capital region is familiar with the general and, and his career arc and, and um, what he's meant to Siena basketball over the years and, and now working in a, in a freelance capacity for ESPN. So Robert Lee is a sports director, the senior, and he had a lot of say over which freshmen would have the opportunities um, to, to get on the air. And then of course, before you get on the air, there's a, a very rigorous um, process of having to, to make tapes and be critiqued and, and critiqued by upperclassmen. And then ultimately the news director to, to be able to, to be granted the opportunity to actually be on the air. Um, but thankfully, Carter, who was a very accomplished sophomore, was able to say to Robert Lee, who I didn't know at the time, uh, hey, do me a favor, even though this kid Kelly has zero experience. And there were some people that came in with the wealth of experience calling games in high school and being in you know other situations where they could be behind a microphone or writing for the school paper. I, I had nothing, 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 nothing. Um, but said, hey, you know, do me a favor and give this kid a chance. And so now the general Robert Lee is a very good friend of mine, you know, but it's funny thinking back all those years ago, I knew who he was, but, but through Carter at CBS sports, I was given that opportunity. Um, and, and you're right. A lot of my very good friends to this day, I met that year. I met the next year uh, and we all worked together at, at WAR. And, and um, uh, so many of them have gone on to just, you know, incredible careers. Um, Andrew Catalan, a good buddy of mine, a year older, who, um, was calling a, a wild um, Buffalo Jacksonville game yesterday. Didn't see that uh, stunning Jags when coming, but Cavan was on the call for that and, and so many more. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, when you're surrounded by that, that kind of talent and that kind of raw talent, of course, everybody through hard work uh, is able to, to, to polish the, their skill set and, and develop their craft over years. But you get a sense already when they're 18, 19, 20 years old, how, how good they can be. Um, and it forces you to step up your game if you want to have opportunities. Uh, and, and so, you know, thankfully I was given the opportunity to do that. You're given these opportunities. You're able to get on the air. Again, this competitive environment, all these good things are happening to your Syracuse career. But like every other college student, they eventually tell you, you have to leave campus. You can't stay here forever. You right. actually have to get a job. 
you know. Your first job lands you in a city. And when I was prepping for this, I still don't know exactly where on a map, if someone gave this to me, where this is in the South, but yeah. I'll let you do that. Go ahead and tell us where you land that first job in the South post Syracuse. Yeah, that's right. So uh, find Panama City, Florida and drive 60 miles due north and you get to Dothan, Alabama. Um, or go to Panama City and stay in Panama City and don't make that drive to Dothan. <laughs> No, no disrespect to my Dothan friends out there. That might Dothan, Alabama. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You know, and I had I made the decision that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an on-air sports broadcaster. Um, and I figured, and I had some friends that, that knew play-by-play was was going to be their calling and, and their pursuit. And, and so like Carter, for example, um, you know, never entertain the idea of working in local sports as a sports reporter and anchor was always going to be play by play. I really enjoyed play by play, the opportunities I had in college and the opportunities I still have to this day in a freelance capacity to do it. Um, but I more saw myself as that sports anchor on television. Um, and I was willing to to go anywhere for that first opportunity to, to get my foot in the door. And, you know, it, it's one of those businesses where there are only so many stations in, in any given market and there are only so many you know sports reporter positions and and generally there isn't going to be a whole lot of turnover so if you limit yourself and say i'm only going to work in my hometown or i'm only going to work in one of these two or three cities that's okay you can certainly make that that decision um but but then you're narrowing your focus of opportunity um where i was willing to and i think part of this was because i did leave home for college and so i already had that experience of of being on my own, where I said, wherever that first job takes me anywhere in the country, uh, I'll, I'll go there and it'll be an experience and it'll be an adventure. And I'm probably going to sign a two-year contract. And then after two years, I can determine what's next in my life. But, you know, I can I can go anywhere and try anything for two years. So I, I, uh, I applied to stations all over the country, probably applied to 50 sports reporting positions in, in a matter of a couple of months from graduation to, you know, that later that summer of, of um, after I graduated in 2002, you know, got rejection letter after rejection letter. And, and that's, that's par for the course. That's the business, right? But after the 48 or 50 rejection letters, I actually got um, two job offers in the same week. One was to a station in Bangor, Maine. Uh, and the other was just, station WTBY in, in Dothan, Alabama. And they were both offering the same amount of money, which is the same, not, not a lot of money. Um, relatively similar market sizes. Um, so I had to make a determination of, am I going to go to Maine or am I going to go to Alabama? Had never been to either state. And ultimately what it came down to was I thought about what sports am I going to be covering in, in Bangor, Maine uh, versus what sports am I going to be covering in Dothan, Alabama? And it, during my job interview for the station in Dothan, they said, we'll send you to the Iron Bowl every year and you'll report live from the Iron Bowl. So I'm like, I have a chance to go to, to Tuscaloosa, right? Uh, go to Auburn uh, and actually be there on the field at that Brian Denny Stadium at, at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Uh, from the Alabama-Auburn uh, football game, can't pass that up, right? To be in SEC country covering big time college football and thinking about how that might look good on a demo reel and a resume tape moving forward. So that's primarily why I chose, chose Dothan uh, and had a great time. I ended up being down there for about two and a half years. I really loved it. So there you are, SEC football. You made the opportunity happen for yourself that you get to cover these great events, great games. You mentioned two and a half years, but the next stint is also in the South, correct? Don't you go to Florida after this? I went to Florida after that, yeah, and I got out of local news. It was an opportunity through a friend of mine who, who – um, 
went to Syracuse together and he was working down in Florida. He was the, the voice of uh, Florida International uh, football and, 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 and men's uh, women's basketball. And he um, through a connection of his, he knew of an opening at, at a station called Goal TV, GOL TV. Uh, it's a 24 hour soccer network. And it was originally founded by um, uh, actually former soccer players, both in Argentina and, and Uruguay, uh, who came to the States and recognized that there was this dearth of, of soccer coverage. And again, this was 2000. I started working there in 2005. The company actually was founded a few years before that. Um, soccer is taking off in popularity in the United States, but there wasn't 24 hour soccer on TV. So they created this network that originally was Spanish only. Uh, it would, and it would be on like a you know, premium sports tier um, direct TV package. And it was Spanish only. And they decided that they wanted to, to create the dual signal where they could also be broadcasting um, in, in English. And so then they had to hire some talent to broadcast these soccer matches and, and host some of these shows. Uh, and again, as I mentioned earlier, my background was in soccer. My friend knew that. So we said, let me connect you with my, my guy who's doing a lot of play-by-play -play down there and, and, you know, see if you'd be the right fit. And uh, so I go down there and interview. And it's wild because, as I mentioned, originally it was a Spanish-speaking only or Spanish broadcasting only uh, station. So everybody who worked there, everybody who worked there, um, Spanish was their first language. Some of them also spoke English and some of them did not. So it was a wild culture shock going into that newsroom. And it was something completely different. And I loved it. And I loved it. And so it was the opportunity to be broadcasting soccer matches primarily. Um, but then also they, they said part of the job would be sending me to soccer matches across the country and sometimes the world. I went to Germany and covered some matches. Um, and, and then report back on it and, and host this show, this weekly show called American Soccer um, that I hosted with, uh, with a guy named Phil Shane and a guy named uh, Ray Hudson, um, who um, has, a, has a passionate following for any soccer junkie out there probably knows who Ray Hudson is. He played in, in the English Premier League and then coached in Major League Soccer for a while. And now he's he's a broadcaster. Um, so I, I took that job and it was really cool. So I go from the tiny little affiliate in, in Dothan to now being on a, a national network, right? So a uh, cable network. So it, it can be seen coast to coast only by uber diehard soccer fans, but still a really cool opportunity. And like I said, in addition to doing play-by-play -play, and I would do some matches where it, I'd be covering like um, a team called Luis Angel Firpo in like El Salvador or um, uh, America de Cali in Colombia, like, you know, somewhat obscure to the average American sports fan uh, games. But then also I, I called um, once I did the Clasico from um, Spain. So Real Madrid and Barcelona, like major international soccer matches that I got to do play by play for. Uh, in addition to uh, many, many trips where I traveled to where the U.S. national uh, men's national team was playing or women's national team was playing. Um, and, and talk to players and, and, and get to put uh, stories together. It's a lot of fun. I hope Gold TV understands this is a compliment more than me trying to be disrespectful. It's way ahead of its time. Yeah, like Kelly, you right. mentioned it's the mid-2000s. If right. Gold TV had launched exactly what you're talking about, international coverage of soccer matches from the country, from the U.S. to all the – that's basically ESPN plus now. That's basically right. Fox Sports and NBC. Right. And I, right. they were just, and that's, you know, it goes for any job, but especially sports and especially sports broadcasting. It's about timing. Yeah. yeah. Imagine that's 10 years later. That's probably right. your career right now. It's, it's, you're the face of international soccer. Right. No, you're, you're exactly right. And there were times that even in that moment,
15 years ago um, when, when I had that thought that I can't believe I'm the one in this seat right now, right? I was just some kid playing high school soccer in Evansville, Indiana, and now I'm the authority on, you know, who uh, Bruce Serena is going to start at left fullback, you know, for their next World Cup qualifier, um, which was which was bizarre. Um, and, and I'll tell you one of my favorite stories from when I was working down there. I um, in the the lead up to the 2006 World Cup, the, the U.S. men's team is going through the, the hexagonal phase of qualifying, the final round of qualifying through Concacaf in order to be one of the representatives from North and Central America to compete in the World Cup. And Back in 2005, 2006, not every game was just readily available on demand the way it would be now, right? And and so these international match dates would be a couple of days apart where, where there'd be this, as soccer fans know, a break in the international calendar where teams are excused from their club team to go represent their country. And there might be a game on, you know, a Saturday and then a game the following Wednesday. And then they've got to report back to, you know, Borussia Dortmund in Germany or whoever they're playing for. So the U.S. plays a qualifier uh, somewhere in Central America. Let's say it was in, in Guatemala. And then they were flying from Guatemala back to the United States because a couple of days later they had another qualifier um, in wherever they were playing domestically in Columbus, we'll say. And they were, they were connecting in Miami, right? So they were in Guatemala. They're connecting in Miami. Then they're continuing on to, say, Columbus for that next qualifier. And... I get a call to the station from an assistant coach on the on the U.S. men's national team. And he says, um, we're going to be in Miami. We need game footage of the team that we're playing next. Because yesterday, Panama played Mexico, and we want to be able to scout that game on our flight from Miami to Columbus. We don't have that footage, right? But we want to be able to scout them on the plane. So when we land that next day, we can start preparing for them. Can you, because Gold TV had access to the broadcast of that game in Panama or whatever it was, can you get me like a copy of that game? So I dub off a copy of their next opponent, meet the U.S. men's national team at customs in Miami as they're coming through. So Landon Donovan, they're all walking by me. And I'd interviewed those guys before, but again, I'm there with them. They're grabbing their bags. They're walking by me. I see the coach. I hand him the tape and he says, Thank you. You've done a great service to your country. And then they continue. <laughs> yeah. Great service to my country. Wave that flag. That's right. You did it. <laughs> Forget about voting. Forgetting about volunteering. No, no, no. That's it right there. I'm done. Exactly patriotism. So that's all I need right there. So this is amazing when you think about it. Looking back from the year 2021 to this now is that all these opportunities are happening. People are not giving this station and this really this operation enough credit. And hopefully the legacy of Gold TV is understood more now in the future than it was when it was going on at that point. Yeah. So as well as things are going for you, you're carving out a career. I feel as if there's a shift now that's coming for you where this is the opportunity that leads you to New York, back to New York here for CBS 6 in Albany. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So there are a couple of things. One, as much as I enjoyed my time at Miami and covering soccer, I started to get a little burned out on it too. And I wanted to get back to the position that I was in before where I was kind of covering a variety of sports. And, and part of that too is that uh, the show American Soccer that I hosted was going off of the air. So I was going to continue doing play-by-play -play for soccer, but I wasn't going to have that show. And that's the show that sent me around the world with the men's national team. And, and so that was going to be a miss. Um, so I decided I wanted to see if there was a way to transition back into the local sports 
seen. Um, and um, my mentioned Andrew Cattle, my friend Andrew, who at the time was the weekend sports anchor in Albany at WNYT, the NBC affiliate. He knew that uh, the weekend position at Channel 6, CBS 6, had just opened up and he knew that I was looking for a job. Um, so he reached out to Doug Sherman, who was a sports director at Channel 6 at the time and, uh, and a Syracuse graduate, um, and, and said, my buddy Kelly is going to reach out to you. He's interested in the job. And so I did. So I talked to Doug and, and we had a great conversation and, and, and that led to an opportunity in Albany. So, you know, I, I started in Albany uh, the first week of November in, in 2008. And, uh, and so people always uh, are stunned to hear that I left Miami for Albany in November. <laughs> <laughs> at least at least show up in the spring right. Right in November. Yeah. So when you head over to CBS 6 Albany, the team is just you. Doug, there's one more person there, correct, as well? It's a three-person person squad? At, at the time, it was just the two of us. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We had a guy who would who would fill in from time to time to, uh, to help us out. But um, for the most part, it was just me and Doug, yeah. So your tenure here in Albany, we see that you're covering teams in the Capital Region, U Albany, Siena, and more. But like we see a lot of times in sports anchoring, somebody who you're working with is offered a great opportunity. Take us through what happens next with the shift of Doug and how it changes your life and your career going forward after that at CBS 6. We're going to hear that story from Kelly O'Donnell in a minute about how his time ended at CBS 6 in Albany. But first, we want to give love to our friends, the people who make this podcast possible, Northeastern Insurance. Jared Lozier right over there, our pal Jared, man. The end of the year is on the way. Are you budgeting already for 2022? Who do you call when you're thinking about making these big-time deals, insurance decisions, like your car, your business, the things that matter the most in your life, you want to make sure you have someone in your corner that's going to always have your back, and that's Jared. LeVac and I, you've heard him. We're golfing with him. We're hanging out with him at the hideaway, all these different places. Somebody you want to make sure is in your life that's always looking out for the best for you. Jared can do that. Call him today, 518-956-3753. Wherever it is in the capital region, across upstate New York, these are the types of people you want to have in your life. Again, business home, car. He wants to find out the ways in which he can help you take care of your money, invest it the right way, and be set for the future. 518-956-3753. That's Jared Lozier, Northeastern Insurance, or email him today, J-A-R-E-D-L at nemail.com. And Mohawk Honda, inventory across upstate New York, someplace, wherever it is. Maybe it's not what you're hoping for. Make the drive to Glenville, New York. I've had so many people tell me, whether it's my mom personally, people who've seen it, Mohawk on, who've done live shows there before. This is the place where I found the run I was looking for. This is the place that I had the best deal. Do it for yourself this upcoming month, the next month. Don't spend the weekend waiting in line forever, and then you find out the vehicle that you want is not even there. Call the great people at Mohawk Honda. You've already got the names, Greg Johnson, Cam McKenna, Hot Sauce, Jake Doyle, Lindsey Harridan, John and Service. You know the people from here in the conversations. I was telling you about them for months. Now you know. You can trust. They always go out of their way to please you. They have the inventory and everything you need when you're looking for your new vehicle. It is Mohawk Honda in Glenville. Check them out on Facebook, social media, and more so you know about the deals, you know about the specials, and everything else on the way. Get Mohawk Honda, where they always go out of their way to please you. Now, Kelly. Tell us, how did your time end at CBS 6? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, Doug had been working um, 
for a long time at, at ESPN doing, doing freelance, um, uh, primarily basketball, college basketball. And, and he was a rising star at college basketball for ESPN. And it always felt like it was just a matter of time before he got an opportunity um, to, to leave CBS and work at ESPN full time. And eventually that opportunity comes along. And um, so when he left, Channel 6 approached me about taking over and becoming the sports director. Now that, at that time, guys, you know, we'd expanded from a two-person department to a four-person department because we started doing um, the Upstate Sports Edge, which you were a, a frequent contributor on. And we always appreciated uh, you coming on to film some time for us. <laughs> and um, so, so that was an opportunity where, where I could go from, from kind of the, the number two position of the station, right, and move up and, and, and be the sports director and, and manage that department, which is honestly something that I thought that I wanted to do and, and anticipating Doug leaving, thought that that was going to be the next career move for me. Um, so Doug leaves and, and I'm, I'm talking to, to station management and uh, they wanted me to sign a, a lengthy contract to do his job. So they offered me his, his job and, and we went through the terms of the contract and, and, and they wanted me to sign a, a five-year deal. And uh, as I considered that, do I want to lock myself into the next five years in this particular position? Um, or is this a time in my career when I want to explore other options? And, and honestly, I was very close to signing to signing that contract, very close, a day away from signing that contract in, in, in truthfulness. Um, but before I did, a friend of mine who works at, CBA, at Siena uh, said there was an opportunity here in our communications office where you could work as an administrator for the college. You could teach journalism classes, something I'd been doing for a while, but it was an opportunity for an expanded role. Um, broadcast the Siena games and continue to explore other freelance opportunities where if I was at CBS and understandably so, uh, they only want you doing, you know, on the air for them, right? So, so um, the opportunity to, to do any other broadcasting was very, very limited in scope. So when I looked at it, all of the opportunities at Siena versus locking myself into that long-term deal at, at CBS where I'd al already been for almost a decade, it just felt like it was the right time to, to pivot and explore something new. And the opportunity is there at Siena. You talk about how now it almost opens up these doors of things that you can do. continue right. to work at the college. And like you mentioned, work with younger, aspiring journalists, broadcasters. Yeah. What's it like being a professor? Because, you know, I'm, I, for as long as I've known you, I've been in your ear about this. Like, hey, let me sit yeah. in one of your classes. Let me yeah. just sit there. I, this is yeah. what I want to do. So I'm yeah. going to be taking some notes here when I re-listen to this about the professor opportunities and communication role. For those who don't know, explain a little bit more about what you're doing at Siena College. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in, in my day job, if you will, as an administrator, I'm an assistant vice president for communications and public affairs. And that covers a, a wide range of, of, of you know, responsibilities, but primarily all of them related to um, representing and shaping the, the voice of the college and the message of the college to internal and, and external audiences. And, and, I, and I tell my students all the time because that's essentially working on behalf of the college as an in-house public you know, relations specialist. Um, and, and, you know, there are some companies that are going to outsource their, the, the work of, of, of public relations practitioners, and then there are large organizations that are going to have that responsibility in-house. And, and, and public relations is very much akin to communications. And I tell my journalism students all the time that with a degree in journalism, it opens up so many opportunities because if you know how to tell a story, and that's what journalists do, right? And, and guys, you, you certainly know this, that the role of any journalist, no matter the medium that, that you work in, whether you're on radio or television or print, uh, you're a storyteller. 
Uh, and if you can connect with an audience, understand what the audience wants, find an angle to that story that resonates with that audience, uh, and then they're going to continue to watch and continue to, to, to listen, continue to read your column, you can be successful. So if you learn that as a journalist or as a journalism student, you can take those skills and you can apply them to so many other sectors within the large communications industry. You know, PR being one, communications, marketing at a college being another. So um, that's how my skill set as a journalist really translates to um, my role as an administrator with a college. And then on top of that, uh, a few years ago, I started adjuncting at Siena, uh, teaching a sports reporting class 10 years ago. A few years ago, though, the college decided to make the investment to turn a journalism minor into a communications major. Um, and, and with that, they, they launched a series of tracks. So you can specialize in, in news journalism, um, political communications, digital marketing. But the fourth track is sports communications, which is great. So, you know, if, if you know you want to do communications and specifically like me back in the day, you know, you want to do sports broadcasting. There is a, a major design specifically for that. So. I was working at the college and I was really in a position to kind of help grow that um, from from the moment that it launched. Um, and it, it's fantastic. It really is. I, I like being in the classroom with students who are passionate for uh, for for communications, for sports broadcasting uh, and be able to you know teach them leaning on my experiences within the business, um, you know, and help them get to, to where they want to go. And, and you know, it, it's fun for me when I get that that call or that email or that text that, hey, I just, you know, landed my first job. Um, so that's it's 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 great. It does feel like you're making a difference, which is cool. Rewarding for sure. And I know this question, especially predicting the future and in particular media future. This is a clip that would go viral if I cut this and put this on YouTube. So I promise I won't do that to you. I won't put you in that spot. But this also feels like I'm like asking for the end of a nice TV show or a movie, like a spoiler of your class. But yeah. it may be far different the world that was communications when you were a student at Syracuse to what it yeah. is in 2021, what do you see as a professor working with young journalists, young broadcasters that might be the future of what type of opportunities are out there, especially in a post-COVID world? We're taping this in November of 2021. Yeah. What does the future of broadcasting look like for some of these students? Yeah, you know, it, it, one thing is that I, I think that the demise of local television, which has been predicted for a long time, isn't coming anytime soon. Eventually, maybe decades from now, this television model that has existed for a very long time may become so antiquated where it just no longer is sustainable. Um, but if you look at it, you know, the, the ratings that local television stations have, have done this past year, the money that they've made, especially coming out of, out of an election year, it's still a very powerful business. Uh, and so as much as the business has changed in 20 years, when I got into it, I went from, from college into working at a small market affiliate doing sports. That's still a great entry point for, for students coming out of college if they want to get into sports broadcasting. So I would continue to push them uh, in that direction. Now, with that being said, there are so many other opportunities on top of that, which is really exciting. Uh, and it, it's from the proliferation of, of you know sports cable channels um, all the way down to of course, podcasts and, and all the other ways that the people can get their voice out there and can monetize sports coverage. So that's what's really exciting. Well, some of the legacy opportunities that we've known over the years are starting to, to disappear or not be as attractive or as lucrative or whatever it might be. Those opportunities still exist, but so do all these other opportunities. And there are more and more ways that you can piece together a career, right? It used to be that you would have one job and that was your nine to five job or in broadcasting, that was your 3 p.m. to midnight job, right? Which is a, a common 
shift in, in sports broadcasting because sports happen at night, right? Um, but now there's so many ways where you can pick up a play-by-play -play opportunity over here uh, and, and you can do this, you know, online column for this company over here and then you can pick up a paycheck here. It's not for the faint of heart, right? Um, but there are so many ways that you can get involved and you can piece together a living um, just because there's this, you know, saturation in a positive way um, for, for consuming sports. And in my first lecture that I always give in my sports reporting class is, the reason that old model that, that I described before still works, even though, you know, hear about people cutting the cord and not watching, you know, um, local television as much because they're getting their entertainment on Netflix and they don't need their, their, you know, cable subscription and everything else. That model still works because people still want to consume live sports, right? Yes, you can get your, your scripted television. You know, you can be watching, you can be an 18 year old college student. You've just discovered friends for the first time. You're binging on friends. You're not watching new shows today. Yeah, but if you want to watch the Super Bowl, right, you're still going to watch Super Bowl with everybody else, and it's still going to draw an audience of 110 million people. Um, that's what sports does. It brings everybody to the conversation, but it brings them to an event, to a, a channel, to a, a venue all together at the same time, and people want to make money off of that, right, in whatever way that they can because it's still bringing these audiences together. Um, so journalism itself uh is fine but sports reporting sports broadcasting sports journalism in particular uh is actually in a really good place right now that's very good to hear it's very more encouraging than discouraging there's been so many discouraging things over the last 18 to 20 months especially for young students whether they're in high school or just starting their college careers or it can become very easy to be discouraged hopefully people heard that message right there from you and continue to be encouraged by the future of whatever it might be so we mentioned we're taping this in November. And by the time this goes live on podcasts, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Sienna's already going to tip off game one of this season. So I'm not going to ask you to preview anything Sienna-wise. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to do any high school stuff. But I think the best thing to do is this. Let's talk about the best advice you can offer play-by-play -play broadcasters because although you're doing a role at Sienna where we're talking communications and professor, your freelance opportunities have given you that chance to continue to be a part of the Sienna broadcast and yep. local high school broadcast. And We'll make sure you plug that right after I'm done setting up this question. But uh, best advice for those young broadcasters who are looking to do play-by-play. -play. And I'll give you a compliment, too. I think a high school broadcast are far harder to do than NFL and NBA broadcasts because <laughs> everyone knows Mahomes. Everyone knows Aaron Rodgers. The storylines make themselves. If you know what I'm talking about, then go ahead with the – the easy compliment I set you up for for the high school stuff. Best advice for broadcasting games. Well, well thank you. Yeah, no, I had an opportunity to call uh, some uh, Spectrum News 1 high school football uh, game of the week. And, and, and you're right. The information um, is not as readily available when you're trying to track down, you know, how many rushing yards did, did so-and-so, you know, they accumulated this season. You can't go to, you know, ESPN.com and find it out in two seconds. Um, so, you know, and I'll kind of use that anecdote to, to answer your question. So what do I have to do in that situation? I've got to track down the high school coach and, and, and I've got to reach out to him and I got to schedule a call uh, and, and I've got to make sure that I'm preparing for that game as if I was preparing for an NFL game, because that's how you can separate yourself. Um, number one is you just you need reps, you need opportunities and you don't have to be getting paid for those opportunities. You know, the first thing I ever did in broadcasting, I was covering high school football games for a, a tiny little radio station in, in upstate New York, um, maybe making $25 a game, right? But it wasn't about it wasn't about the money. It was about taking a tape recorder, right? Because this is before we could be recording, you know, on, on our phone or anything else, but taking an actual tape recorder, the physical tape, uh, and hitting record and, and holding it up to my mouth and, and describing the action as I saw and learning how to do the job and, and then 
finding somebody that I trusted, that I respected in the business to critique me and then go out and do it again. So that's how I was spending a lot of my Friday nights. I mean, I mentioned earlier, I didn't have much of a social life and it didn't improve when I decided I was going to spend all my Friday nights at high school football games. Um, but I, I would go up into the stands. I really would. I mean, I, I would get walk in, I'd, I'd pay my $5 admission, right, to get into the game of two high school football teams that, that I had no affiliation with whatsoever, right? I mean, you know, the Baldwinsville Bees in, in upstate New York. So I'd go to their stadium and I'd pay my $5 and I, I'd try and find a corner of the stands way up top somewhere where nobody else was sitting because I'm going to be talking to myself the entire game. And, and I would talk into the tape recorder and I would do play-by-play -play of that game. Uh, and then I'd go back the next Friday to a different game and, and I'd get a little bit better every time that I did it. And eventually you get good enough where you think you can cut a demo and actually show um, or, or, or allow someone who, who has a, a paying gig the opportunity to hear a piece of, of, of what I did on that Friday night. You know, and if they listened to the first game that I did, they, they would have laughed at me. Um, but by the time they listened to the 15th game that I did, now I start to sound like a broadcaster. Right. Um, so so my best advice is to outwork the, the competition or the prospective competition uh, and, and to be successful. Right. I mean, it's, um, you know, people learn that lesson that if I want to get better at playing baseball, I got to spend more time in the cage. Right. It, no matter what that sport might be growing up, the more I practice, the better I get. But then sometimes there's a disconnect between then that becoming the professional ambition. It's the same thing. If you want to get good, just practice, practice, practice. Um, and, and that'll, uh, you know, ultimately put you in, in a position um, where you can get your foot in the door somewhere and then you start to get paid to do it. And then you continue, you continue to do it by taking any shift and any opportunity that comes your way to try and get better. It's so exciting that play-by-play -play broadcasting continues to have all these outlets to have it happen. For those in the yeah. Capital Region, for whatever reason, aren't watching you, plug where they can find you for the rest of this fall, both Siena and high school sports. Yeah, for sure. So we've got a Super Bowl coming up uh, on Friday night, again, depending on, on, on when you're listening. So if, uh, if the, the big CBA and, and – um, um, Shenandoah matchup hasn't happened yet. Then uh, Friday on, on Spectrum News 1 at 7 o'clock, me and James Allen of uh, the Times Union are going to have uh, the play by play in the color of uh, that matchup on Spectrum News 1. So looking forward to it. James and I did the, uh, the CBA Gilderland uh, semifinal game this past Friday night, and, uh, and it's a really exciting game. So looking forward to, uh, to the Super Bowl, the Class AA championship. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, we've got uh, Siena basketball throughout the season. Uh, the season's about to start for the Saints. And um, so ESPN three or ESPN plus every single one of our games will be streamed there. And a number of games are going to be on my four throughout the season as well. So I uh, catch me in the, in the general Robert Levy in those games. Appreciate you, Kelly spending the time. I made one of your classes easier. Just hit this right before the holidays, stick it in like the old movie in high school, right? Like I'm not teaching today. It's almost winter break. I'm just going to throw in this podcast and you guys can learn about me. That's what you can do for your students here that at the end of the semester. Brilliant idea. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> Kelly, appreciate it, man. Best of luck for the broadcast going forward. Looking forward to catching up again in the future. Thanks, guys. I always appreciate talking to you, buddy. Take care.